hey, Desert City. <clears throat> so what you probably don't know is that I am you. I'm one of you. I'm with you in this. My family has been worshiping with you since early March. We had the privilege and opportunity to worship with you in physical presence. Remember that time when we actually got together and we met one another, we exchanged hugs, handshakes, there were kids all around, there was just so much movement and noise. I was there on that Sunday. It seems like years and years ago, but that was a moment in our space in which we were introduced to Desert City. So for the last 17 years, I have been a pastor. Um, I have served in a variety of roles, and so it's fun for me to be able to see the behind the scenes that happens like a typical Sunday now where we no longer gather together, but we engage with one another and we, we figure out ways to be connected through our online realities and still hold tight to the vision and the ministry and the purpose. Over those years of pastoring, I can remember very fondly the energetic seasons that Desert City has been in of setting up and taking down equipment. It's the honeymoon phase of church planting. It's so exciting because we get to gather together. And then in the very same moment, you remember those days when you were exhausted of the drudgery of setting up and taking down every single week. And so I come as someone who speaks your language, who knows who you are, as a fellow journeyer with Jesus. Perhaps we've met each other, most likely we haven't. I know very few of you, although we have some overlapping ministry concerns and areas of passion. We have been united with Team World Vision. We've been engaged as families who are trying to parent and trying to struggle with what it means to follow Jesus personally and then corporately, and how do we create a momentum and a movement or at least engage in the one that's already been started for us. So like you, I acknowledge that these are strange and amazing times that we're living in. But just so you know, I have a heart for following Jesus in the footsteps of Jesus Christ alive in the world today. And so we're going to unpack some scripture this morning, two in particular, one that comes from Luke and one that comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And so we're going to look at the, the New Testament, the Old Testament. We're going to marry them together and see what it is that may fuel us for this week ahead. But first, I think you need to know a little bit about me. So I grew up in a culture that sheltered me from problems. I am the beacon of privilege. So I had food when I needed food. I had money when I needed money. I had um, activities to do, healthcare, relationships, education. All of this sheltered me from a world that was experiencing loss of some of those things. Things that were happening at the same time to other people were not happening to me. In spaces of want and longing for another person's reality, the jealousy and the engagement of wanting, coveting something that someone else had, well, then I would be told things like, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. It's the text from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. It was used to limit all of the wants and desires that I had. It was used to manipulate all of the ways in which I was, at the time, being selfish. But 
but then it was used to start to manipulate and form a particular understanding of how I should act as a churchgoer. So that scripture, again, it was used to limit my feelings and infuse guilt and shame on me eventually. If I was overwhelmed by deteriorating relationships, rejoice always. Just pray about it, Ryan. Give thanks. It was a rhythm. It was a mantra that was spoken over and over again to me. It's kind of like the phrase or the song, don't worry, be happy, right? Ignore all that's going on and just be happy. Power of positivity. We have all sorts of ways in which this has become known. It was simple, and it was also ill. I have to be honest about that. The moment I experienced pain or hurt, the pain or trauma of real life, well, give thanks in all circumstances. It's going to be okay. Move along. It lacked depth. It lacked empathy. It lacked space to breathe and ponder and wrestle with the faith and more importantly, the Lord of the faith that had been passed down to me. So soon I adopted, well, and I built up the understanding that people cared about the smile on my face and thus began the realities of fake it till you make it or I'm too blessed to be stressed, right? All of the code words and t-shirts and all the things that are really good to put up on uh, wall art found at Hobby Lobby and all of those ways in which we experience good phrases, good intentions, and yet it was just glossing over the reality. So intrinsic thankfulness and gratitude, they seemed foreign to me. So I think it's somewhat comical that the Sunday that I've been asked to speak, I'm speaking on thankfulness as we journey in this Life is Liturgy as we ponder what it means, the very steps of following Jesus, to be engaged in the work of the people, of God's people, in the story of humanity written by our God. Over the last several months, my family has experienced the disorienting storm of circumstances as we have never before seen. Much like you, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. So that's fun. Also, we're experiencing a loss of employment. Living out of an Airbnb for the last uh, several weeks. And in addition to all of that, our multiracial family has been struggling to decipher ways in which we live in a racially charged and often hurtful culture. All the feels. All the heartache. And yet that nagging piece of scripture keeps coming back. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. So admittedly, this reflection is coming from me, an extrovert who's been told to stay inside and isolate. Um, a social two on Enneagram, if you speak that language, right? So I'm the helper, but I need to be surrounded by people so I can help them. And also, I'm learning that I'm a Hufflepuff. 
I've learned this because my son and I, my 10-year-old, have been reading Harry Potter for the first time together. And what an exploration it has been as we have explored the wonders of the wizarding world. My views are expanding on the various personalities and complexities of people and as people-focused person that I am in the midst of social distancing and masking restrictions. So as we journey together through this series, because remember, Desert City, I'm one of you, let's explore the insights of life as liturgy. And so today we are talking about thanksgiving and gratitude, but you've got to give me a little bit because we're going to get there. It just takes a little bit time to set the foundation to understand where the source of gratitude and thanksgiving actually is. But hang in with me. So like I said, we've got two different scriptures. The first one is found in the Gospel of Luke. So here we have the story of Jesus. He's fallen asleep on the boat with the disciples in the midst of a storm. And so let's begin with our scripture reading today from Luke 8, verses 22 to 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat, and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep, he being Jesus. The squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked. He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? Who commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Now, this particular text has come on the heels of this extensive time of Jesus' teaching. Um, so the disciples have been listening to the teacher. They've been engaged with the large crowds of people where Jesus is laying out one step after another. He's telling stories and using parables, imagery, to try and communicate what this new kingdom is going to look like. He's ushering in a new reality, and the disciples are now alone with Jesus. He's seeking rest in a space where his human body is tired the space of having been on, on call for a long time, and now he gets to take a breath with his closest group. They're tending to the tasks and the details of the journey at hand, but those details are becoming overwhelming. So the first observation, right, is that the disciples are freaking out. I mean, that's a deeply theological understanding, right? They're freaking out because the storm is coming. Their surroundings, their circumstance is so chaotic that they are actually feeling it. No longer are they focused on hanging out with Jesus, right? Now they are trying to survive. They're trying to get together and breathe. And yet, all of their surroundings says, terror, pain, unknown. What's next? What's going to happen? For some of you, you might be experiencing the last couple of months like that. The last several months in our world have been a space of storm and chaos and unknown. It is crazy out there. So the second thing that I think is a really fun human response, and, and this is 
kind of the disciple that I would be, they're like angry at Jesus, right? Like here's the very presence of the creator of all of the world hanging out with them in a boat. And they are like, get up. Don't you care? Don't you care about what's going on? Don't you even notice that we're about to drown? This is a big deal. Jesus, stop snoozing. So I think I'd be that kind of disciple, the one who looks and says, Jesus, you may physically be here. Like, I see your body, but you are not engaged. What is going on? And then the third thing, and this is how it kind of wraps up in that particular thing. So remember in, in verse 25, it says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. In this moment, the disciples are filled with new experiences with Jesus. A new understanding, an innovation of thought of what has been going on. He's been leading them. He's been teaching them and the crowds as a whole. But here they have this new preconceived ideas of Jesus being crushed and this new understanding about who he is and what he's about. Could he, Jesus, the guy who's been talking about this new kingdom, could he actually have the power to calm the storm? Could he actually have the ability to breathe in the midst of all the chaos? As we see throughout all of Scripture, we see Scripture being the space that reminds us of who God is and then reminds us of who we are in relation to God. Even though they had just been hanging out with Jesus, it seems like their memory had been a little short. Even though they had been walking with this guy, they've been forgetting things about the very character of God. Now, I mean, I'm not going to beat up the disciples because I am one. And so I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to speak ill against them because I see myself in the same setting, asking all the same questions, freaking out at the circumstances and the setting, the surroundings, and then asking the question to other believers, like, is this, is this really what it's about? And having these innovative and stretching thoughts about who God could really be moments of learning and expanding my own understanding of the character of God. But see, memory is important. The importance of rehearsing so that we don't forget the ways in which we hold on to certain memories and then the ways in which we dismiss other memories. These are all human realities. So in this series of Life is Liturgy, it's good because we're rehearsing and we're practicing the work of the people. It's a daily rehearsal. It's the work of God in and through God's people. We are the supporting characters in God's story. And as we remember, we reorient to that. We experience a reorientation. That is the journey that we are on together in the midst of God, in the midst of God's creation and in the midst of the swirling storm, God is present and cares about us. 
So memory is an important thing. I remember when I was a worship pastor, one of my favorite songs to lead is called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's an old hymn, and it reminds us about the importance of remembering rightly. The phrases like, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I mean, even good Christianese people, all the people who say the right things and have all the right scripture hanging up on their house, prone to leave the God I love the space of wandering and wondering, the space of enriching and depth comes as we then also a phrase from that song, here I raise my Ebenezer. And it took me a while to kind of figure out that Ebenezer wasn't some old guy that I was supposed to like lift up. I, I had to actually learn a little bit more and thankful for seminary that they taught me things like an Ebenezer, which is a, a stone monument that we would raise, something that we would draw attention because we're going to forget. And so when we look back at it, we're reminded of the ways in which we see or have experienced the very presence of God in mighty and miraculous ways. In the Old Testament, you could see it in things like um, uh, Joshua 4, a stone for each tribe of Israel was taken as the ark had crossed over the Jordan River, and they raised this monument, this space to remember that God's presence had been there. God's protection had been with them. God, the God of all creation, was present in God's creation. But then you see also in like 1 Samuel 7, where Samuel takes the stone and he raises up an Ebenezer. He draws attention to the space in which God's people were protected from the Philistine army. So because we're in the Old Testament and because I like the Old Testament, let's hang out over in Deuteronomy for a little bit. This is a helpful rule of life that was passed from generation to generation for how they would engage and understand what's important to pass down to your kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, and this is the Shema. This is the prayer. This is the understanding of the very presence and magnitude of who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. He's going to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is easy to forget. It is easy to have moments that overwhelm us in circumstances. 
learning about the role of memory is vital for us to understand gratitude and thanksgiving. We have to rehearse it. We have to remember it. We have to model it. We have to teach it, to pass it along. I believe that gratitude is birthed out of one's memory. Who are you? Whose are you? In those questions, in those spaces, I'm reminded that the God of all creation is present in the midst of a storm, is present in the midst of the unknown. Our God doesn't have to be, but our God chooses to be engaged and mindful with humanity. And for that, I'm thankful. So thankful, in fact, that I'm mindful of God's presence when I'm out hiking, when I'm going up to Dreamy Draw and I'm coming up to the mountain and I'm seeing the sun rise and I'm looking at the beauty of God's presence in the rock formations. Or when I'm drinking dark roast coffee, because let's be honest, liquid grace is a thing to behold. But ultimately, the space of God that I see most is in relationships, where I see the very presence of the divine in the people in which I've been engaged with in life, the ways in which I'm encouraged by and molded by. So here's some action items, because, I mean, I'm no deep theologian. We'll let Pastor Jared do that. I'm just here as one of you to say, how do we do this together? How do we practice thanksgiving and how do we practice gratitude as we move forward into still a stormy situation and season with all of the unknown that's going on? And so one of the practices that we do with our daughter, because she gets anxious a lot and she gets overwhelmed by the the setting in which we're in, we remind her of a practice of just picking three things. So daily, we invite her to say, what are the three things that you're thankful for or grateful for? And as many seven-year-olds, it, it involves all sorts of goofy things, but it also gets very insightful too. Grateful for playtime and giggling in the pool. Grateful for meals shared together. Grateful for snuggles and hugs. Grateful for a puppy all of those things that help to create just goodness in our life. So do that practice, if you will. Reorient your thoughts to the memories and the spaces in which you see God and be open to the ways in which God is expanding those because we'll be uh, all surprised to see that. And then the other way, how have you experienced God's presence? This is similar to that, but Let's focus it in three different areas. Within nature itself, is it a sunrise or a sunset, a flowering cactus, or maybe it's just a cooling breeze on a ridiculously hot Phoenix day? How is it that God's movement is aware and you become aware to it in your world? Maybe it's through people or pets, snuggles, smiles, enriching conversations or acts of service, whether you've received them or given them. Or maybe it's just in experiences that you're going through right now. Someone helpful who has offered a service to you. Or perhaps it's just some helpful memory or rhythm that replays in your mind. Or some new thought or action or a changing, evolving thought or feeling 
about the circumstances that are going on. We can change. We can evolve. We can be on that journey together. And so finally, the question that I would ask you that we see in the Old Testament and New Testament of people drawing attention to what God is doing is Desert City Church. How are we doing that in our everyday world? How are we as God's people creating opportunities for others to see the very presence of God in our world? Memory, it's... It becomes like muscle memory. It comes back to us, things that we remember and remember. And so we need to train ourselves towards gratitude and thanksgiving. So the work of God's people, the liturgy in which we are engaged with as God's people, we are to set up sensory spaces or places that draw attention to what God is doing so that we may remember rightly. So join me as we pray together. Oh God, we just thank you for the ability to see your presence. Lord, for the moments and spaces in which we wonder and ponder, are you even there? Thank you for the ownership that we can have those thoughts and we can be encouraged by others who hold faith around us. And our faith is strong enough to wrestle within that. And so, God, we just thank you for the opportunities to see you, to experience you, and for your care and guidance to be present within those. Continue to mold and shape us. Continue to be mindful of the storm. And for you to continue to be the source of all authority and power. Lord, help us to hold very loosely that power so that we do not control, but we simply bask in the movement of who you are. And we thank you that you call us children. In the good, good name of Jesus, we pray in the power of the Spirit. Amen. <laughs>